Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. I'm William Hosea. Welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning show celebrating over 13 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. And good evening. I'm Cornelius Wright. In today's broadcast, we've also invited back Dr. Karen Renner to share medical advice and healthy tips on how to keep your children healthy as they start a new school year. All in the next hour on Bring It On. But first, in 2017, after being awarded the Youth Initiative Award from Merrinac City in France for the project Train and Travel, Benedict Joan decided to create the charity Train and Travel through her experiences of visiting over 60 countries. She met Elizabeth Onishi in Niger and Ivory Coast. From this friendship, of a community of Train and Travel volunteers developed to strengthen regional solidarity around the topics of women, empowerment, and travel. They seek to foster solidarity and economic development through tourism. Therefore, it is their mission to promote local tourism, empower women through professional development, and to empower women through personal development. In her role, Benedict Joan, work, Benedict Joan works as a traveler. She explores countries and meets women entrepreneurs to find solutions for the development and promotion of tourism in sub-Saharan Africa. She joins us now by phone. Benedict, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so Benedict, Hi. this is uh, William. Before we get started, just tell me how many of those names I, I kind of jumbled a little bit there. Like Benedict John or which name? No, the, the, the woman that you met. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, so we have Agnieszka, which is, she's from Poland, basically. Okay. I met her in Ivory Coast when I was on holiday there. <coughs> and uh, she became a friend and she became a close um, advisor of the project of Train and Travel. And you also have uh, Elizabeth that I met in Niger while I was working for Doctor Without Borders. And she also became a friend and a close advisor for the project. Okay, and you're joining us from New York at the moment, is that correct? Yes, yes, because um, I'm actually in the U.S. as part of the Young African Leadership Initiative, uh, which is um, a program that was created by Obama when he was in office, and uh, it brings like around 700 Africans in uh, networking in the U.S., okay. and 90 of, 98 of us are left right now, to do some kind of professional development experience and to learn about um, the American way of doing business, if I might say. Yeah, I think uh, a couple of years ago we hosted some of the young leaders from that group right here in Bloomington, and we interviewed uh, three of them right here on our radio show and Bring It On. Wow. Oh, wow. Thanks for that. Yeah. So could you tell our listening audience a little bit about the train and travel program and also about how President Obama got involved in, in helping the program? Um, so the training travel pro program is uh, pretty much based on uh, my, um, I would say, my history of traveling, 
especially in Sub-Saharan Africa, where I traveled to 25 countries, and I realized that I often used to be like the only black traveler. I remember back in Namibia, uh, I was in a luxury lodge, and the waiter were kind of surprised to see me and telling me that I was the first black traveler they were seeing around, and they just see like white travelers. They could be from uh, the U.S., from Europe, but it was the first time, and also the fact that I was young, they were quite surprised. So that really kind of struck me, and I really felt like I needed to do something uh, to have, for us black women especially, to have more presence um, online, uh, because we do travel, we just don't travel in Africa much. And uh, that's a shame. So I, f- I felt like uh, we needed to promote it more. So I decided that um, where I lived in, in Abidjan, uh, the women who do not have jobs, who are quite disadvantaged, could use tourism as a means really to make some kind of money. So this is how I started training travel. I started to train them as tourist guides and welcome the tourists and promote it for also the diaspora, the African diaspora, and among, like, the black, uh, I would say, the black population, whether in Europe or in the U.S. Uh, about Obama, how he got uh, into this program, I guess it was one of his, um, his aim when he was in uh, office to kind of uh, reconnect uh, Africa and uh, the U.S. because... Um, in Africa, many of the colonies are British or French, so I guess it was more strategic in order to better do business as well, um, but also to give the chance uh, to young African leaders to understand um, better why uh, the U.S. was so successful, because we always talk about the American dream. And since you uh, started the Train and Traveler uh, program, are you focusing on women of color? I am not focusing on women of color because uh, back home we cannot really say it that way. So indirectly through uh, the volunteering program I'm organizing, we tend to advertise uh, our volunteer program more in, um, let's say, in, in black uh, groups black people groups and so on and so forth, but uh, we cannot target um, and say openly, unfortunately, um, because back where I live and especially uh, since we won uh, a French award, it's not allowed in the law to actually specify uh, color. So we somehow um, promote it in another way, but always hoping for um, women of color uh, to, to tour with us. Um, but in Abidjan, uh, I would say the majority of uh, people are black, so um, so it's not it's not so hard for us to to target people in uh, Ivory Coast. So, since you do not focus on women of color, uh, and of course that assumes that you uh, focus on all women, do you know which group of women benefit the most? In Cote d'Ivoire, it's basically the black, uh, because Cote d'Ivoire is, Af- is, is an African country. So uh, I would say most uh, of the disadvantaged uh, people that you would find are just uh, women of color and black, I would say. Uh, in terms of getting, uh, I would say, tourists uh, around, uh, with 
target the diaspora. So we, we somehow assume that they are black. So we don't say it, but we do assume that they are black, basically. Okay, now you've traveled to over 60 countries. Um, the program, Train and Travels, how many countries is it in right now? It's based in three countries right now, so between France, Niger, and Cote d'Ivoire. But I live in Cote d'Ivoire, that's why I talk so much about Cote d'Ivoire. Niger is an African country as well, so based in Sahel, so the majority of the population is uh, also black. Uh, France um, is much more a European country, and all volunteers are also black, I would say. It, it's, it's, it's really hard for us, uh, I would say, uh, to target exactly the diaspora in Europe, the African diaspora, because uh, they don't have right now any interest in traveling. So or one of our marketing strategies actually is to promote travel as well uh, for, for, for this type of public, basically. Now, is there an American element to your organization? And if so, how many Americans are traveling to Africa and other countries that you're participating in? Okay, so actually we only have an American couple coming to us. I think it's the fact that Cote d'Ivoire is a French-speaking country. So Americans tend to visit more East African countries like Kenya or Southern Africa. Uh, right now, we did not really have any. We just had two, literally two, two, two American tourists. So the fact that I'm in the U.S. right now, um, it's also to encourage uh, black Americans uh, to um, to travel more African countries when they think about traveling instead of going, for instance, to Asia. Uh, and to tell them that it's as safe uh, to travel in Cote d'Ivoire or in Niger than to travel in uh, Thailand or China. Basically. Now that was that was a segue to my next question. A lot of the women travelers safety factors. Um, I know you traveled alone quite a bit. Are there different issues, and do you give different advice on how to travel safely through a lot of the different countries? Of course, I had like uh, bad moments, um, but I have to say that my traveling experience had to do with my age. When I was eighteen, I was much more adventurous. So. I would tend not to get upset that easily if, for instance, I was getting stared at in China or South Korea when people came to touch me and ask me if I was makeup. So I would be less sensitive, I mean, because I guess I was young, so I, I didn't take understand life the same way. Uh, but now that I'm approaching uh, 30, I'm much more sensitive to people looking at me. So, for instance, recently I went to Egypt, and I got called Akuna Matata, and I got called prostitutes. Um, and because we women, we black women, we are really sexualized all over the world, and that actually affects our travel. So when you travel alone, those kind of situations can be really hard because you have nothing, you have no one to, like, kind of, uh, you have no support around. So you, you have to be also strong sometimes because there's a lot of stereotypes in this world, unfortunately, and people base um, the, the image of black people on movies. So what they see on movies is what they think is real. I remember once I traveled in India and I got called 50 cents. 
uh, I don't look like a guy, but uh, just because I was black, uh, like the, the kids called me 50 cents. So um, it's at the beginning, it's like, oh, you find it, uh, you don't want to get upset because it's not your country, but then you also learn how to educate the people. So I also educate the people when I go to restaurants. I do uh, like to give tips when I travel, uh, so just because uh, I feel like people think that black people are poor, so they are not uh, um, capable of, of like to afford uh, going to a restaurant or something. So I somehow sometimes do things on purpose so they can have a better image for the next black traveler. Now, do you think things have gotten better or worse uh, throughout your years of travel when it comes to those type of stereotypes? I think it has got better because uh, we do travel more. Uh, there is a lot of, right now, Instagram uh, influencer uh, women who uh, tend to travel a lot and, and, uh, and uh, portray a positive image of uh, black women, uh, black men. Um, I think things are changing also because of the internet, so people tend to educate themselves more. But I have to say, for instance, uh, I was in Bloomington and I got asked uh, if I said giraffe in my garden, which was kind of funny for me because then again, I mean, uh, kind of, I kind of got, um, um, I would say, an ignorant question. Um, asking me if I have a giraffe uh, because I live in Africa. <laughs> so <laughs> so that was, uh, you know, there is two sides. It's not because uh, you travel in uh, underdeveloped countries that you will get also um, ignorant questions, but that can happen also in uh, other areas of the, the developed world. You know, um, Benedict, I'm, I'm sure during your time here, you 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 uh, have probably seen a lot of the news, and uh, especially in the political world, we have a gentleman occupying the White House who gentleman? has. Well, yeah, that, that's a stretch. Anyway, there's, there's a person occupying the White House who's probably set us back with regard to race relations. Um, do you see any of his effect uh, as you travel overseas, or, or are we just? Is, has he just confined himself to this country? No, I think we have seen a big change. I, I mean, like, the U.S. is uh, the, the one of the superpowers of the world, so uh, anything that happened in the U.S., we cannot look at uh, this country first. So uh, the, the fact of having the change of, uh, of presidents, I would say, has had obviously an effect even on international relations. So, for instance, where I live in Ivory Coast, there are some projects uh, where, um, you know, dual with the U.S. who have been cut off uh, because of the change of uh, of uh, president. So um, there's definitely a effect, uh, especially for also some countries, um, who are, like some people who are traveling who are from some countries, um, they are stopped with the visa and so on and so forth. So there's definitely something going on in the world uh, because there was some tension in the U.S., definitely. Okay, and I'm going to switch up here just a little bit. I wanted to ask you, uh, travel as a means of empowerment is, is an interesting concept. 
So, and I know you touched on it uh, a little earlier, but can you give us some more specifics about exactly how you empower women through tourism and travel? Okay, so the fact that we train disadvantaged women in their community, we train them in becoming guides, they get to uh, organize two activities for tourists and to raise their voice through guiding. So, for instance, if you uh, get a book a hiking tour with us, the, the tour guide, the woman, can tell you, tell you about their environmental problems on why, for instance, this forest or this mountain is polluted. And they can also get to talk about political problems because sometimes uh, within communities there is like poverty due to politics. So indirectly we give them a voice that they thought like they would never have. So because we give a voice to also external people, they get indirectly to raise another voice and then indirectly we are kind of creating uh, community projects. So, for instance, uh, right now uh, the woman realized through uh, touring that there is a lot of pollution. So now we are creating more tools that are based on cleaning their communities. So it's basically uh, a mean to, to, to tackle uh, their community problem in a different manner because they don't really see it when we talk uh, to them at first when you visit community. Okay, in your community, in your village, you have this and this problem. They don't see it. So we want them to see it with a, within a different eye, so the eye of a tourist, basically. Okay, now you started in 2017, and each year more than 500,000 volunteers take part in international solidarity programs. and. We barely get that many people to vote. That, that, that's a fact. And so what is it like or what is the level of interest when you started? And then the second part of that question would be, how can you tell if you're accomplishing your mission? Okay. Um, I have to say uh, it was really challenging for me at the beginning, plan and travel, because uh, we are considered as being part of the volunteer tourism industry, which is quite a big controversy uh, in those years right now because there's a lot of uh, kids that are 18 that sometimes go to Africa for two weeks and declare to be to become nurse or volunteer nurse or volunteer to teach literacy to kids and often it's just uh, for facebook pictures uh so to us really to tackle that was to put a different image on international solidarity which means we bring power to the people that uh that live at that place. We bring power to the, the women in the community and the volunteers, they are just literally here for assisting uh, because we believe that uh, if a volunteer comes to us, it's to them to learn from us, uh, not the other way around. Um, so that's the experience, that's the unique experience we are actually giving to our volunteer. And that's the unique experience that we're trying somehow to, to raise uh, voice that we're trying to raise, um, responsible tourism, basically. Well, I must say congratulations on having five half a million volunteers to take part in, uh, in your projects. But what was it like when you started? Um, when I started, it was a, it was a challenge. Like, I, I started this project first uh, creating it in France. 
and no one really believed in it uh, because they were kind of telling me uh, it will be really hard for you to bring European uh, volunteer to Africa. And then it started with one volunteer, two volunteer, and then um, it just followed. Uh, the other thing was just to start alone. But when Elizabeth and Agnieszka joined, everything just uh, flowed around after. Um, yeah, like challenges as an entrepreneur, uh, a social entrepreneur, it's uh, it's first being alone and feeling like things are not I'm not making sense at the beginning. And then you realize you have more and more and more people around you. Funding. I know you mentioned that uh, there was some help from the administration, uh, the previous administration, but how do you get most of your funding and how does that translate trickle down to uh, a lot of the uh, people who are in the uh, program? We get most of our funding from volunteers themselves uh, because one volunteer has to visit us or take part in uh, one of the or beneficiaries tour. They have to pay a fee. Uh, so that's how we get our funding because we do have an office, we do have electricity and bills to pay. So uh, we cannot make those tours for free, unfortunately. Uh, so this is how we get our funding. And right now we are heavily trying to get more partners that can support us in, uh, in terms of uh, administration. Um, for people here that might want to help, how can they contact you? Um, they have to contact me through our website, so which is the ttwsa.org. Uh, I'm the one managing the website, so uh, I'm quite active on it, and I reply often uh, quite, uh, quite quick. Uh, Benedict, according to your website, um, you believe in solidarity and economic development through tourism. But you also say that the media and some charities often portray a negative image of sub-Saharan Africa and volunteer volunteering. So what are some of the negative images and stereotypes that you have to deal with? Um, so, I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago, um, sorry, when Tinder really started, there was the humanitarian Tinder. So, humanitarian Tinder was uh, a white guy or um, a white girl um, with a little black kid uh, with no shoes. Uh, that's a negative tourism because this is not what is in Africa, I'm uh, sorry to say. Um, and this is what we are trying not to portray. So if you want to volunteer with us, uh, we do not somehow tolerate this kind of um, attitude on taking pictures of the kids uh, because the media says oh, the, the kids have no shoes and so on and so forth. Uh, we have really clever kids uh, back home, although they are disadvantaged, but... Uh, they are the most happy kids, and uh, we we always have to think that if it was our kids, it would be like uh, this or this volunteer taking a picture of our kids. So okay. that's not fair on on the mother of the kids, on the parents, and on the country to portray uh, volunteering that way. Now, how do you dispel some of the stereotypes, and what can we do here in America to help dispel those? Um, and for our listening audience, once again, that website is ttwfa.org. 
And uh, because, you know, as you mentioned, when you visited here in the United States, some of the ridiculous questions that you got. So obviously that's still happening here. So w- how can we help? Um, help on torturing the positive Africa. Positive Africa is clever people, uh, people who sleep in proper beds, uh, but people who do still struggle uh, in uh, getting education for in some communities. Um, it's uh, the, the positive Africa is uh, the happy Africa, the one where international solidarity is key, but not. Uh, one way around. So when I say one way around is the um, the foreigner coming to help us, while uh, two way around is we both help each other, basically. And if you were to recruit um, anyone from the, the U.S. while you're here, what is it that you want people to know about your organization that you think might attract them to be more interested in your project? What, what would you say? I would say that you have to support women employment. You have to support um, responsible traveling. You also have to be um, aware that what is happening in the U.S. is not the reality, that's the same reality that is happening in, in Africa. So you have to be aware that you are coming to a much more um, different uh, setting and situation where people are happy. Uh, they might be slightly slower because they live under the sun, but they still get work done. So it's not sometimes as fast as in the U.S. So you have to be really patient if you ever want to travel to Cote d'Ivoire in Africa. And when you talk about volunteering, I know it's about the project and the organization, but how can that benefit me as an individual? I think as an as an individual individual it's mostly a life experience to see that um, um, elsewhere in the world um, some people they might have not a big TV not a big car but they can still be happy and uh, work as hard as uh, people who have a big TV or who have a big car. So really experience on. Um, personal experience, personal development experience that you will get, really. Okay, we've got a couple of minutes left, and in those two minutes, what exactly would you like people to know about the train and traveler program that we may not have covered this evening? The train and travel program is about training local women in Cote d'Ivoire and in Niger in becoming um, specialists in tourism. And through that, we also welcome volunteers to take part of our project, of the program. Um, those volunteers usually come from uh, Europe, and we're hoping to get more American volunteers today. We do speak English because we give English classes to, get to, uh, to the beneficiaries as well, so you won't feel disconnected if you ever come to a part of the world. Um, I do invite you, if you are someone that, someone that is adventurous, that is getting boring right now uh, of Bloomington, that is afraid of the winter, that is going to happen in Bloomington soon. So do come while it's winter to our lovely summery uh, country of Cote d'Ivoire. Well, Benedict Joan, we're just about out of time. I uh, just want to say it was a pleasure speaking with you. We wish you continued success, and we definitely hope you enjoy your stay while you're in New York.
Thank you so much, William. Thank you so much, and thank you all. Thank you. Okay. Well, our thanks to train and travel founder Benedict Jones for joining us today to illuminate our listeners to this charity that seeks to foster solidarity and economic development through tourism. Their mission is to promote local tourism, empower women through professional development, and empower women through personal development. To learn more, visit www.ttwfa.org. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org.
Just heard the iconic To Be Young, Gifted and Black, recorded in 1972 by the late iconic Aretha Franklin. Written by Nina Simone for the playwright Lorraine Hansberry, the song appeared on Miss Franklin's album of the same name. Accompanying herself on piano, Aretha's soaring vocals idealized the song's mission to encourage all manner of black achievement. You know, I, I just want to say, um, and and looking at all the videos of Aretha over the past week, I never knew she played the piano Are you and serious? so well. Yeah, because every time I saw her, she was always standing at a microphone. But it wasn't until last week I saw it. And man, she was, I mean, she's good on that. I, I oh, she I was great that. on the piano. Also, it's really difficult for me to hear by the late iconic Aretha Franklin. That's, that's yeah, going to take a yeah. minute. Uh, but to keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at WFHB, you're invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com and search for WFHB. Or you can always visit the WFHB news website at WFHB.org slash news. And when news is breaking, we fix it. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Cornelius Wright. At the top of the hour, we mentioned that we invited Dr. Karen Renner to share medical advice and healthy tips on how to keep your children healthy as they start the new school year. Dr. Renner, welcome back. And let's jump right in it. How do we keep our children healthy this school year and help them keep us healthy? Well, you left off something. Dr. Renner is the official doctor for Bring It On. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is news for me. Thank you so much. It's an honor. Thank you for having me back, Cornelius and William. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It gets me out into the community. Oh, it gets me. It gets me out into the community um, and uh, to kind of interface with what's really significant for people of color in our area and uh, in America. So um, tips on how to get your kids healthy for the start of the school year. This is an interesting question because um, my son went to a picnic (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this weekend and uh, came back on Sunday morning. He was We were supposed to go to church. He vomited everything up. And then we, I snuck him into school today, um, which you have to wait 24 hours. I should know better. You, you snuck, we're going we're gonna to edit that <laughs> part out. That, that, that won't be on the, the podcast. So I'm telling you, don't do that, okay? <laughs> so he got to school today and he had diarrhea, so we had to get him out of school. So he has to wait 24 hours of being diarrhea-free to be able to go back to school. So the long and short of it is to keep your kids healthy, you have to follow a certain basic um, common sense technique. One, Hand washing. Um, that goes for adults too. Exactly, it? exactly. And uh, uh, we as adults have to kind of uh, mentor our kids by demonstrating the, ne- the the use of the soap and the water. And it's not just for washing your mouth out when you use curse words <laughs> like when you were kids. So yeah, hand washing. Um, avoid um, smoking around your kids because smoking does um, affect their immunity. Um, you know, a lot of kids go to daycare 
And in daycare, if you have daycare where there's a lot of kids, more than five kids, then those kids are going to be exposed to a lot of different types of germs. And daycare workers need to do um, serious hand washing. And if you're not going to use soap and water, there is the, the alcohol um, you know, those the hands, hands, hand, wa- hands wash. Um, now, I just wrote yeah, that down. Hand sanitizer. Here. Hand sanitizer. Thank you. I, I just wrote that note down. Hand uh, uh-huh. soap uh-huh. sanitizer. Is there yes. one better than the other, or if one's not there, should you use it? Now, the hand sanitizers are pretty much um, alcohol-based, and alcohol is a good way of killing germs. And in fact, you know, I remember when I was in Haiti at the with the last earthquake in Haiti, um, all we had was uh, alcohol. And, and the, the makeshift clinic that we had, and that's what we used to wash our hands. So alcohol is a good way to kill germs. Um, in the daycare, they, they you just need to use bleach, uh, some bleach-based um, substance to um, clean areas that has been exposed to vomit or, or urine or feces. Um, and basically, teach your kids to avoid touching things and body fluids and in, in daycare it's hard because those kids have toys and they're going to yeah. touch their nose <clears throat> and they're going to sneeze into their hands and sneeze without covering their mouth and and you need to cover your mouth when you sneeze so that you don't spread the germs all over um, one technique is to just um, if you have to cough or sneeze sneeze into, into, your, into your arms arm. you know so that you don't um, spread that germs everywhere so Avoiding smoking, smoking outside, don't smoke inside the house. Even if you smoke in a room inside the house, it's still not good because passive smoke increases the risk of asthma and upper respiratory tract infection, ear infections. So it's best just to kill yourself away from the kids. (laughs) (laughs) Which would probably be more sane for a parent, but um, if you're a smoker, Stay away from the kids, yeah. basically. Don't smoke around the kids. I think it's just wrong. I've seen a lot of people driving in their car and they're smoking. Windles Two people are up. smoking, windows up, and the kids are in the back. Yeah. And then they all have the runny nose and the sniffles and, and just being clean. I mean, I have people coming in. The kids are not, they're not, they didn't take a bath. Take a bath. Um, be clean. You know, just basically, basic sanitary techniques helps to prevent infection. I have a question. Now, when my daughter was in daycare, Mm -hmm. I had this thing, because I I would go to the daycare and pick her up, and and they would always remove her socks and shoes. And I would go high and to the right about that. I didn't think it was sanitary. They take the socks and the shoes off? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, it was a long time ago when my daughter was in daycare. Yeah. But I still see that in some places. So the children are running around. Uh, Without and their bare feet, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of dangerous. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not accustomed to that. I don't think that's a medical recommendation, so I don't know if it's an, an issue in the daycare, but I would think that that increases their risk of uh, stubbing their toe or getting into, uh, stepping on things. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of a, a little worrisome just to hear that. Now, we've, men- we've mentioned preschool children, uh, but what about elementary school? We've got <coughs> elementary school, we've got high schools going on now, mm-hmm. and I know I've got a little part-time job at the Boys and Girls Club, so mm-hmm. I'm seeing, you know, 100 kids after school uh, in all Uncle types of Cornelius. different... Yes, Uncle yes, Cornelius. Yes, yes. <laughs> in, in all kinds of different situations. Yeah. So for older kids, how do we prepare them and get them uh, 
healthy as well. Yes, so older kids is a little bit easier because, you know, they should by now be in some sort of a good sleep routine. Um, And sleep is another thing that reduces your immune system. As you get older, your need for sleep is less. So, um, uh, you know, so for the older kids, helping them to maintain at least eight hours, eight to ten hours of sleep um, helps them not only for their brain function but to keep their immunity up. Um, It's still the same technique, hand washing, avoiding exposure to things that will cause their immune system to be reduced. Um, if they have, uh, if if you have a child that has some immunocompromised state, they should be avoiding people who are sick, basically. So it's it's pretty much the same the same rationale that they they should be by now adept at being able to wash their hands and keeping clean and knowing when they sneeze to cover their mouth. Um, and I mean, in terms of immunizations, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, no, you you're on a roll. <laughs> In terms of immunizations, um, when you're talking about like 11, 12-year-old, you also want to make sure those kids have all their immunizations up to date. You know, so for example, varicella, I mean, chickenpox, you want to make sure that by 12-year-old they have their varicella vaccine, Um, they have meningococcus vaccine, and those are things that by the time they get to high school uh, and college, mostly in college, you you find that the, the meningococcal vaccine gets very important because, you know, you can have kids dying from meningitis if they're not properly immunized. You know, I, I see uh, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of people who don't believe in immunization for their children. Could you talk a little bit about that? Um, the yeses, the noes, the good, the bads, the wise tales, etc. Well, you know, it, th- that's kind of a muddy <coughs> picture, it, to be honest with you. And I, I'm kind of on the side of immunization because, to be honest with you, from the time we started immunizing people with the polio vaccine, um, we had less people developing polio. Okay, so I'm 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 for immunizations. I mean, granted, there are some people who might have had, might have a reaction to it. There are very very few, but in our country, immunizations are very very safe. And so, when you immunize a child, you're also protecting the the, the more vulnerable child in the population because. By keeping that ch- your child, um, you know, healthy, then that child who say you have a child who has uh, cancer and is on chemotherapy and they're immunocompromised, you keep that child from getting an infection. So yeah, there's a lot. There's a segment of our population who believe quiet. that immunizations is bad and and people get um, different types of uh, developmental problems, autism, and you know it's it's kind of a muddy picture. But um, from my experience, um, I have found it to be very beneficial. So if somebody comes in and they say that they don't want to immunize their child, I'll just give them the pros and the cons that it's it's preventing further illness down the road. I mean, we have people who even have had um, chicken pox as children, and then as adults they're getting chicken pox. And you can die from chicken pox. You could get pneumonia from chicken pox. So you're saving lives by getting the immunization done. Now, schools, mm-hmm. are there certain rules to where you have to be immunized if your child is in a public school? In the public school, you have to be immunized. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, by August, July, August, people are coming into the office to get their um, 
their physical exams and they have to have proof that they've been immunized. Yeah, absolutely. When uh, children make that transition from preschool to elementary school, mm -hmm. are they looking at a different set of uh, health, health issues? Um, uh, things that can be passed around from one kid to the next? From preschool to elementary? Yeah, or I is it the same? Um, it's, it's pretty much the same um, for the most part, but um, you're finding that as they get older, their mm -hmm. immunity is actually much more sturdier. So in comparison to a two-month-old and a four-month-old and a six-month-old, so you'll find that they may be less um, affected by illnesses around, but every year kids are going to get affected by some virus or other because they're in school, they're on the playground, and the hand-washing rule is not always reinforced. I know for sure that at my son's school that they're taught seriously to wash their hands. That's like one of their, their etiquettes. Um, but as they get older, it's, it's not well reinforced. So they do get sick. They do get the diarrhea. They do get the, the colds. Um, and depending on what's going on in the environment, if they live in a house where mom and dad smokes or the sanitary condition is not up to par, then, you know, they're more likely to get infected. You know, we talked about uh, before the show started about when I was younger, mm -hmm. I had my yearly doctor, dentist, uh, uh, eye doctor mm -hmm. uh, checkups each year. Mm -hmm. uh, how important is that? And I know that there's a lot of cost involved nowadays with insurance. Is there help for people out there who would like to get their children those services? Well, I think the good thing about our state is that, um, and most states, is that children have access to health care through, like, for example, the Healthy Indiana Plan or Medicaid. And so through those programs, the kids can get access to um, immunization. And if they don't have insurance and there is an income um, challenge, then the health department provides um, free or low-cost immunizations. In fact, some of the doctor's office, the health department provide the vaccines for those children because it's so important to our society for our kids to be well immunized. But not just the immunizations, <laughs> just the actual checkups each yeah. year for to preventative medicine. Um, how, how important is that? And with the health care, should parents, how, how, how cognizant should they be of making sure they do that each year? I think that's so important for parents to bring their kids in every year for their annual checkup because that's when you catch things like, you know, lead poisoning, if they're, you know, anemia. You do certain wow. health screens, you, t you check their teeth, and then they get referred to the dentist because having healthy teeth also means you're also having a healthy immune system. I, as you get older, having bad teeth affects your heart. So it's uh, it's not a good thing. Really? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Gingivitis, uh, um, gum infection. When you brush your teeth and you start to have bleeding because your mouth is not a clean area, there's a lot of bacteria, thousands and thousands of bacteria. So if you are constantly brushing and you're getting blood bleeding, you're actually seeding um, your bloodstream with bacteria that can actually affect your heart, especially if you have heart um, valve abnormalities. Yeah. You know, we, so. we touched on smoking mm -hmm. a few minutes ago, but I know it's, uh, it's much more uh, information involving uh, children being exposed to secondhand smoke. Can, can you talk about that a little bit more? So um, children who are exposed to secondhand smoke, they're at increased risk, like I said, for, being, for getting upper respiratory tract infections, ear infections, asthma, 
Um, so, you know, at the in the long term, it costs more to our society as well as to the parent because that child is probably going to be more often in the doctor's office, going to miss time from school because of a pretty bad ear infection. Ear so, infections yeah, from secondhand smoke. Huh? And exactly. Um, pneumonia. Um, in the, and sometimes they get recurrent pneumonia because of those the, the secondhand smoke. So and 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 it also has ramifications for long term as they get older yeah. because it's like you start smoking at two year old two years old, and so you also develop COPD later in life. So even if you don't smoke, I've had patients who have COPD, and you ask, but how do you have COPD and you don't smoke? Um, and it's because mom and dad smoked when they were kids. I don't know if you've ever watched this, the Lucille Ball show and the, a lot of those older shows. That was I mean, like, my time. I know. Yeah, right. My son likes it. I mean, he's watching the Andy Griffith show, the Lucille Ball show. The I love Lucy. And like, they smoke like crazy. And I'm like, it was pretty. It was yeah. pretty popular. People were like lighting up. I mean, you you're watching one segment and they they've lit up like four or five different cigarettes. That's a lot of smoking, you know. And so you have a lot of people in their uh, older age they're having serious respiratory problems because of uh, being exposed to passive smoking I, I can recall both my parents smoked and I would roll my window down and have my head out like a dog and they'd get so mad put your head in put the cigarette out put your head in put the cigarette out and you know unfortunately my sister smoked also and the three of them are all passed away from cancer oh, and I'm uh, so sorry. but uh, yeah I, I can recall having my head out my tongue out you actually had that exchange with your parents <laughs> oh yeah and they didn't pop you when the baby was driving he was driving you're a true Cornelius <laughs> I tell you <laughs> you don't mess around oh no, my goodness no my yeah. health yeah, so. Okay, so we're and of course, you know the the risk of cancer from smoking. Yeah. I mean, it's you just mentioned that. That's 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 pretty. So the effects of secondhand smoke mm -hmm. at an early age can can uh, uh, plague you through the rest of your absolutely, your days. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you get a lot of shots from being in the doctor's office from getting like you know infections and pneumonia and being in the hospital. That's not fun at all. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so moving on up the. Uh, ladder a little bit mm -hmm. uh, still talking about children mm -hmm. the older children 12 12 and up mm -hmm. uh, what what do they have to uh, contend with so um, older children they tend to be more at risk for getting like you know accidents like if they're on sports, um, sports exactly so you have to try pretty much um, get them educated on how to prevent those and some of those are not preventable um, uh, for those kids also you want to make sure that they have the proper immunization as well like I've, I've mentioned varicella um, vaccine which is chickenpox um, meningococcus they have to get their um, initial meningococcus vaccination which they may get later on in um, in, in college before they start college um, you know, it's interesting because I th just last night I saw something on TV about making sure your children get a specific vaccination by the time they're 16, mm -hmm. uh, that you've had it before, but you need to get it again. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they'll say the name, it goes by so fast in one ear and out the other. How do you keep track and keep up with all of those things? I mean, does it, do the school send something or is that a situation where you're at the doctor and they let you know each yeah. year? Well, when you go to the doctor's office, we have like a little spreadsheet like that. 
um, and it tells you at what age you need what vaccination. So, for example, for meningococcus, um, by 11, 12, they should get their first dose, and by 16 to 18, they should get like a, a booster. And um, if they haven't gotten that, by the time they get to college age, they should actually make sure they have that. And, um, yeah, so we do have, like, a, a way of kind of keeping track. So you'll find that the, the parents will come in with a list of the vaccines that they have, and we could check it with the spreadsheet to see what they're missing and what we can, what we need to um, update. Is there somewhere a website that Absolutely. parents can get that information? There's always a website. A website. Always yeah. a website. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, there are a number of different websites. One, the most common is the CDC, www.cdc.gov slash vaccines. Um, so it's, yeah, and they have really nice, colorful spreadsheets that they can look at. You said uh, um, meningococcus. Mm-hmm. Did I say it right? Mm-hmm. Is that the one that attacks the... Uh, It attacks the meninges, which is mostly the brain, yeah, but it could also, when you go to the hospital, they do a spinal tap to see if that that bacteria is in your brain, the spinal fluid, so yeah. Um, But mostly it's the meninges, and you have meninges both in your brain as well as in the spinal column. So how much of that do you see, or, or is it at a very low level? I don't see a lot of it as an outpatient, but when I was a resident, we saw quite a bit. Why and was that? Uh, bec- um, because we were, it, when you when you have you're, you're admitting patients in the hospital, you see everything that comes in from the community. Um, and we're in a college town, so I I'm pretty sure it's still here in the community. When I first came to town, I I took care of patients who had meningitis. Um, since I don't admit to the hospital at this point, uh, I don't see as much in the you know from that perspective. Is there a high death rate associated with oh, that? Oh, absolutely. So that's why it's it's something that if you suspect it, you have to treat because they, there is a high mortality rate from that particular infection. Specific age group that you that, that you were seeing in the hospital, and um, what are the symptoms? Headaches. Fever, lethargy, um, poor appetite. I see that sounds like the flu also. So how do you know if if you have those symptoms that it's not the flu or? Well, when you're going to see, that's why you need to go see your doctor. Because when you go to see the doctor, there are certain tests that they do to make sure. And some people, they get very stiff neck. So the stiffness of the neck, um, you know, with other symptoms, um, they would, sometimes they would raise your leg and see if you, you have pain from that, and that will help them, or they bend the, the, the head over and causing pain, and um, those certain signs that helps the physician determine. And if they're not sure, they do a spinal tap to, to rule it out. But in the meantime, they would start you in some antibiotics to make sure that you don't develop further complications. Okay, we got about a quick minute left, but uh, something that we uh, have neglected. Mm-hmm. What about, what can you tell us about vaping? Oh my goodness. I yeah. in, Okay, in terms of smoking or the other kind of vaping, because I don't... Both. <laughs> yeah. In, okay. In, in one minute or less. Okay. <coughs> I don't know too much about the other vaping, but I know for smoking vaping, it's much more nicotine and it's harder to really quit. So it's much more nicotine. It's, it's, it was it's sold much, to just the opposite. Yeah, but yeah, way. it's mm, yeah. Leave it alone. It's yep. 
Wow. Mm, yeah. That's very interesting indeed. Yeah. And I guess every, nowadays they're doing a lot of things in vaping, but I don't know too much about that right now. Well, our thanks to Dr. Karen Renner for joining us this evening to share medical advice and healthy tips on how to keep your children and adults healthy as they start the new school year. And we have one calendar item this evening uh, from the Creators of Resilience, Indiana's Untold Story, Stories of uh, Monroe. They're having auditions on Wednesday, August 22nd, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Bloomington Transit Center and Thursday, August 23rd from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Unitarian Universalist Church, 2120 North Fee Lane. And then Friday, August 24th from 3 to 6 p.m. at the Neil Marshall Black Black Cultural Center, room 221. So if you have an event or happening the African American community should know about, please send that information directly to the Bring It On staff, or if you want additional info that you've heard about a calendar item tonight, you can contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Once again, our thanks to Train and Traveler founder, Benedict Joan, for joining us today to illuminate our listeners to this charity that seeks to foster solidarity and economic development through tourism. Their mission is to promote local tourism, empower women through professional development, and empower women through personal development. To learn more, visit www.ttwfa.org. Our show's producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. While this is his last day, our skilled board engineer has been Chris Martin. We'll definitely, definitely miss your talents, Chris, and we wish you the best in your future pursuits. Best of luck, Chris. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Cornelius Wright. Tune in next Monday, August 27th at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.